This week on Millennial. One of you is an influencer. The other is a forking fangirl, let's say. (laughs) An author. (laughs) Author, yes. And content creator. That's what it says on my hinge. They've kind of taken the YA cover model and used it for, they're using it for all the romance novels. They're like cartoon people now, really cutesy. There's no like passionate, real people on the cover. Those bodice rippers. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it was so embarrassing to read those books, right? Yes. The people, yeah. It's like Fabia was on, it's you're not your mother's uh, romance novel, right? Yes. <laughs> he unloosened his belt in the sunset. And then next chapter. <laughs> it goes a little further than that, but they're like oh, creative okay. the way that they say it. He unloosened his belt and his cock fell out. <laughs> yes. And then it fades to black. <laughs> Welcome to Millennial, the home of pretend adulting and real talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. And this week, we are hosting a more focused discussion on the rising popularity of romance novels, and we'll also discuss the YA angle there. And joining us for today's discussion are two of our friends, Christine Riccio and Natasha Polis. Welcome both to Millennial. And Christine, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be back. I'm excited to be back, Natasha. (laughs) This is my first time. Hi, I'm Natasha. (laughs) Hi. Some people might know you two as those forking fangirls because you host a podcast named that. A pretty new podcast, right? Yes, yes. I don't know if people know us from that, but... (laughs) (laughs) The internet's Instagram, YouTube. (laughs) Yeah, maybe from the YouTubes. But yeah, we have a new podcast called Those Forking Fangirls or Those uh, Fucking Fangirls. If if you don't want to cuss. (laughs) Yeah. This is an explicit podcast, so you can definitely cuss. Wait, so what is the show officially called? Uh, well, I mean, it's F and then there's like a percentage sign and a hashtag K-I-N-G. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I guess it's officially called those forking fangirls because yeah. that's what we put everywhere. So don't, we don't get banned. From- <laughs> <laughs> like, Probably a good idea. <laughs> and it's kind of like a, a, I don't know, like a sad pun. It's like Forks Washington. Like Twilight. Right. There's a lot of Twilight <laughs> fandom stuff happening in the podcast on top of everything else we talk about. Yeah. No, that's cool. It's yeah. a good name for a show. <laughs> Thanks. Tell us about your podcast. What do you two talk about? Yeah. I Well, we talk about being basically a fangirl as an adult and everything that entails. We talk about everything that we love, like books, TV, movies, and then just how that integrates into adulthood. We kind of like we talk well, about our dating lives a little bit and Ooh. about like everything we're watching that week and the books we're reading and we always have like a central themed discussion about some sort of fandom related thing um we just had christina lauren on to talk uh, about our love of rom-coms and we've done like little love of twilight and a hunger games episode and you know, more general episodes. <laughs> we did a, a dating mishaps episode a couple weeks ago. <laughs> That's fun. fun. Yeah. Or traumatic. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Cool. And Pam and I are actually going to come on the show in a couple of weeks. So we're yes. looking forward to that. That'll be a fun time. And then you both are pretty big on social media, too. Have to say. Got some influencers here today. Influencers. Own it, Christine. She hates that I word. I hate it so much. Oh, really? It's just I own it. And Natasha always says, like, we're influencers. I'm like, don't call me that. 
we're from before they were called influencers and when they started oh, that's sharing. interesting okay can we dig into that a little bit what why the distaste for the word well it's just because there's still a stigma i mean it's starting to die i think but there was a stigma that you're just like you're people follow you because you're pretty and nothing else and and we we're cre- spending so much time creating this content on youtube about like books and all sorts of people on youtube are creating like stuff about something and they just started calling us influencers <laughs> and i was like i see we're creators the rise of the influencer the word was probably due to instagram yes. and like i and instagram um and christine and i are from the youtube days christine started a channel like back in 2010 9 right yeah i mean it started like regular on in 2010 but it was there in like 2006 yeah <laughs> and then i followed quickly after like in 2013 so like we've been always we've always been youtubers like there was never like a generalization of the word so it but we also love content creator because we do create the contents. Right. Yeah. And like in movies, you know, when you watch a movie and there is an influencer, it is the dumb asshole. And I just don't want that association. <laughs> like I growing up as a blonde person in the 2000s, I was already like the dumb blonde. And I was just like, I'm not dumb. Stop it. Just don't find a new way to call me dumb. I'm pretty Aww. sure I saw that exact movie starring Zoe Deutsch and Dylan O'Brien recently. So <laughs> to that point. Yeah. So that's, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you both have been around the internet for a while. And one of you is an influencer. The other is a forking fangirl, let's say. <laughs> an author. <laughs> author, yes. And content creator. Right. Right. That's what it says on my hinge. <laughs> yes. I'm also... You know, on like, I mean, as as influencers, content creators, um, we have to have like many different hats. So like I'm also like a talent manager, like an, and I was an influencer marketing manager for a brand. So like we've just been all around the whole industry. Yeah, that's great. And you two are perfect for today's discussion. I think you two yeah. were the first people who jumped to mind when we were thinking about talking about this um, this story, the story we, we read about in NPR. Who are the types of people slash fans in your respective audiences, by the way, like on Instagram, YouTube? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've got, you know, 20 something year old women, a little there's there's a little a little bit of men, just a little, <laughs> just a little, just like here on the show, just a little bit of man. Yeah, yes. 10 percent. <laughs> yeah. Or, and non-binary as well. Um, and uh, they love to read. Um, they love to obsess. They love to fangirl. Um, and they probably came from the YA days and now they're kind of growing up with us. A lot yeah. of nerdy book lovers that love yeah. to love stuff. As, That's great. Yeah. And a lot of most of them are, I think, in their 20s and 30s now. Love to love stuff. Mm-hmm. That's like such a simple statement, but also like really deep. Like <laughs> you just you just love obsessing over stuff. It, it makes you feel good. It's exciting. Yeah, I've got a mug that says, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> love to love things. <laughs> really? <Yes>. You <laughs> did you make that yourself or no? Someone got it for me. Oh, that's a fun. Viewer, I think. Yeah. Oh man. Wow. I need that mug. Yeah, I need that mug. My only mug says I like eating donuts off penises. I need something oh, that my like gosh. my mom. <laughs> I'm sorry, Natasha. I I oh I don't know what. That's fine. Oh, God, go for <laughs> it. I mean, our podcast is called "Those Fucking Fangirls." It's there for a reason. Yeah. 
We're getting real personal just right <laughs> off the jump here. I love Actually, it. I've known Andrew since like I was a wee little baby. Um, a wee lass. A wee lass. Because um, I got started basically like in the, the fan fan site world. So um, mm, yeah. we That's did right. junkets together and all that yeah. stuff when I was like 17, 18 years old. Yeah, with Twilight, right? With Twilight. Yeah. Yes. What fan site were you working for? Page at the time? to premiere. Oh, page to premiere. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Kimmy. Mm-hmm. Twilight Source. Twilight <laughs> Source. <laughs> I am still so proud of Twilight Source. Like legit. Me too. I checked that every day. Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> well, it was the Twilight Source, so <laughs> that's good to know. Oh, what's this? I just typed in twilightsource.com and there's legit a new Twilight fan site. Someone else stole our domain. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> Why did I let that go? What was I thinking? <laughs> it's probably like a saving money tactic, which is smart. But still. I mean, it's like $10 a year. I'll have to yeah, mourn this later. Oh. We were also, you know, in our early 20s and poor at that time. <laughs> fair, so true. Fair. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, anyway. Um, yeah. And we're actually going to talk about Twilight a, a little more later on. But um, and then actually Pam and I will be talking about it on those forking slash fucking fangirls in a couple of <laughs> weeks. So that'll be fun as well. So to get us started today, we'll talk about the article in a minute. But uh, to prove that we picked two excellent people to be on the show with us today. I'd like to hear a little bit about uh, Natasha and Christine, your relationship with romance novels. What's each of your favorite romance novels or series? I could I could go with like the generalization because there's there's, there's a lot of love here in the romance world. Um, my new favorite is From Blood and Ash by Jennifer L. Armin Trout. Um, she's written several series, but this new series is like a high fantasy world with vampires and gods. And there is a, a lot of spice and it's a mm. lot of fun and mm. it's just great storytelling. And there's four books in the series right now. And there's also a spinoff um, series, which is set uh, before it. So it's like a, a prequel. Um, and that's also amazing. I think that's, I, I love that a little bit more than the main series. Um, and then our typical rom-coms. Um, my current favorite right now is Spoiler Alert by Olivia Dade. And we follow a plus-size character. And she writes fan fiction. And um, it kind of has to do with, think, the Game of Thrones cast. And one of the actors is also writing a fan fiction. And it's like he's rewriting the last season because he hated it so much. And oh, then they're friends like online and they have no idea who they are. And then she cosplays as one of the characters and gets a lot of hate for it. And it's very close to my life. Um, so because I write fan fiction and also cosplay. Um, and ah. then they form a little relationship together. And it's like wish fulfillment for me like that's everything i ever want <laughs> wow that's such a great premise for the show it is All right, for the book that's awesome that <laughs> should, should be a show too a show. yeah yes yeah <laughs> and cast me yeah <laughs> <laughs> what type of fan fiction do you write natasha uh right now i mean i dabbled in raylo that's but i did twilight and then i did captain swan from once upon a time Sweet. And actually, Pam, I think we're going to touch on Raylo re- later, right? Yeah, we have a Raylo example, which I'm sure you're both oh, familiar yes. with. Perfect. But for the uninitiated, we thought it would be a good touchstone. Mm-hmm. So. so, Christine, how about you? 
Yeah, I mean, we're so deep in the romance book bubble. We've read so much. It was so hard to choose like one. And um, I mean, my favorite fantasy romance right now is A Court of Silver Flames, which is Sarah J. Mass's like last book that's out right now in the Akatar world so good and the characters are so compelling and they have just like the best arcs i mean i don't know i know you all were reading akatar did you get to the accord of silver flames i haven't gotten that far yet no but I'm, I'm still working my way through it all right all right so we it, we have a different lead in, in that series so that's kind of like a little bit of a spinoff oh. yeah we're following nesta who you meet uh Thera's the sister. sister yeah she's an asshole in the first three yeah, books. Yeah, she is. And I didn't like her. Right. This is, is her journey out of assholedom. And it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's a great sell, by the way. I'm already Journey compelled. out of assholedom. <laughs> I love a good redemption arc. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, my favorite rom-com right now is Part of Your World by Abby Jimenez. And she has, her books are so funny. And the characters are all so good and so compelling. And then I have a horror rom-com favorite. Okay. Ooh. Verity by Colleen Hoover. Oh, yes. It's so good. I don't know if y'all have gotten on the Colleen Hoover train. (laughs) No. It's excellent. Okay. Um, Yeah, and it's really dark. And just, I stayed up all night reading it. That sounds like it's right up my alley. So I'm going to be writing that down. Yes. <laughs> Getting that for Laura for Halloween or Christmas. <laughs> right. That's the book that I tell people to read if they're like, oh, I only read thrillers. And I'm like, OK, then you can read Verity. <laughs> <laughs> What's a good place to start if people want to start reading romance? What do you two think since you have read a lot? Well, Twilight. (laughs) (laughs) She wrote in Um, all caps in the doc as well. (laughs) Anna and the French Kiss was my like intro into like romance, romance in the YA world when I was 20. And Christina Lauren is a staple in adult romance. So The Soulmate Equation is one of my favorite Christina Lauren's. It is about an app that uses like science to match you like DNA markers to match you with different percentages with different people in the app. And it's so fun and so good. I would say The Hating Game by Sally Thorne. It's what really made, like, cemented my love for that hate to love trope. And it's now a film, too. So it's fun. You can read the book and then watch the movie, which is, it's not as good. Oh, so, yeah. Read the book. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that one. And then also, like I said, Verity is, is a great start. And then if you're, like, wanting to dip your toes into the fantasy world, then um, try A Corn Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Bass. Okay. Thank you for those recommendations. So now let's get into this story. This was from NPR. The article was titled, From Meet Cutes to Happy Endings, Romance Readers Feel the Love as Sales Heat Up. And it's about the rising popularity of the romance genre, backed up by data, but also colored by stories of in-story get-togethers celebrating this area of fiction. And it also discusses how less and less people are hiding that they're romance fans. People aren't ashamed to be holding one of these books on the subway or out in public, which I think is awesome. People have been ashamed to read lots of different types of books in public, and there were even adult editions of of certain books, so it didn't look like you were reading a children's novel. But we wanted to talk about why 
the romance genre has risen in popularity and and what about it that is appealing. So we've definitely established that Natasha and Christine have read a lot of romance. Laura, Pam, what's your two's relationship with romance novels over the years? Twilight was definitely my initiation into romance novels. I think like a lot of people in our age group. Overall, though, I haven't really dabbled in it too much. I've had a hard time finding things that I would like. I will say diving into Agatar, that has been a really compelling read for me to do because even though straight up romance elements of the stories themselves aren't the thing that keep me coming back necessarily, the characters the world building, the dynamics and the arcs really do. And then the romance is kind of like a cherry on top, really, for me. So that, I think, pretty well describes my relationship with romance novels. I'm definitely a novice, (laughs) self-proclaimed novice, but I definitely want to get more into it and find recommendations that would help me get a little bit more exposure with the genre. Well. Do we have the episode of Millennial for you? I know. I'm on the perfect show today. <laughs> yeah. I came ready. I'm taking notes. Pam, on the flip side, I feel like you've read a lot of romance, right? Yeah, I, ha- I have. I'm pretty, like, I'm not as well versed with what is probably newer, but I, I think like 2014 to 2016 was the sweet spot of like, the, like how much romance I was reading. Um, and it's funny because, and I know this point is coming up later in the doc too, but like authors like Colleen Hoover, it's so funny to see her specifically pop off because I've, I was reading all those books in 2014 because my best friend was like really into them and she like wanted somebody to talk to about them. And so I started reading them because we would have our own little book club. Um, so it's really interesting to see a lot of those books like November 9th, Ugly Love, get really popular now and it's kind of like a true testament to the fact that you never really know when your thing is going to get popular and also to kind of how evergreen the genre really is um i think that if you're like a reader in any way you probably also got swept up in the new adult genre and and that like was like a really good time for those kinds of books as well um Nowadays, I like I said, I'm not as well versed. So and I've also been like, trying to diversify my reading since 2014, at 2016. So that's probably come as a result of, you know, stepping back from just only reading romance, but like no shade if that's all you read, because reading is reading. But yeah, like Jennifer L. Armentrout also like I it was really easy to like slip into her romance books too because I had read the Obsidian series and also the Half Blood. I think it's the first book is Half Blood, like her gods, uh Olympus Gods, yeah, series as well. So it's yeah, it's really fun. I think that like if you're a fan at all of YA, it's really kind of easy to slip into romance because so much so there's so many subgenres of romance too. So there really is like something for everybody if you just want something that also has that as a little treat in there. Yeah. So I, as a gay, have read several gay romance novels uh, over the years. I think those have risen in popularity too. There's actually a little data to back that up in, in this article. And I was actually thinking last night about how I am aware of several other 
gays who have read gay romances as well. And I thought that was kind of interesting because the people I'm thinking about, myself included, are not traditionally people who read romance novels or, say, straight romance novels. So why are we reading the gay romance novels? And I think it might be because there's such little, even today, representation in other forms of media, movies and television. And yet there's so much out there when it comes to romance novels that I think people have just gravitated that way. And also a lot of these books are very, very good. Of course, one great example is Heartstopper, but there was also Love, Simon. Those are probably two of the biggest examples, but there's many more great LGBTQ romance novels out there. Oh, I'm curious, like, would you say that there's like, um, like the conflict in LGBTQ romance is uh, less high stakes? Because I think that like, a huge reason why people are disconnecting with a lot of the queer love stories that we are seeing on TV is because a lot of them are rooted in in like pain and tragedy. And that is not to say that like, there is not um, some pain in in being any sort of a minority. But I think that it's, you know, sometimes you just want to watch or read something that is not going to cause you to be triggered yeah sort of like a happy escape so you know picking up something like yeah like a red white and royal blue is a great example too like the stakes are like high but they're not like like homophobic high you know (laughs) you're not like reading about hate crimes or like um you know, unnecessary trauma being put upon these characters. Yeah, I I would say it's lighter. I would say they kind of all go in the same direction. It's a lot of coming out. It's a lot of I'm in the closet, but I have this crush on this person. It's it's a lot of coming of age stories. And that's fine. I'm looking for a little more original originality these days. I think Adam Silvera. I haven't. But I know of him. I think Pat so has a book they're or two. So good. They're okay. not as like rom commy because they're. I mean, they are funny because he's funny. But like a lot of them are like dealing with heavy stuff. But they're really good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's that's good to know. That's my r- r- relationship with romance novels. You wouldn't would you count Fangirl as a romance novel? Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. It's a YA romance novel. Yeah. Okay. I've read that as well. I love that one. I've recommended it multiple times over the years. I've just typically classified it as like just YA, but it is definitely romance. Um, uh, Levi had a big crush on him. Oh, boy. Who among <laughs> us did not? Yeah, I mean, like he was based off of Tom Felton's looks. Oh, was he? Oh, my I'm God. Sure was he, he really? really? Well, that explains oh. things. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm a it all, like so. It makes sense, but I just didn't put two and two together. That's really funny. Yeah. So... Because romance novels have risen in popularity, we wanted to talk more about why and what and what makes them appealing. Maybe Pam, we can tackle this area together. I think I mentioned before, like when I read these, it's a really nice escape. It's not it's nice to like just read in bed at night to kind of unwind the brain and relax a little bit. Um, but what else? What other reasons are people drawn to it? Yeah, I think when we were talking about this topic and we were brainstorming, we came up with a few and maybe you two can expand on this or let us know if we're completely off the mark. Um, but a couple of other reasons we thought of were uh, people looking to experience romance or even a healthy relationship if they haven't before. Um, it, romance, the genre could also help people realize what they like in a relationship and not necessarily physically, but also like 
personality traits that they might gravitate towards in a partner. And also, it might be a comfort to people who think they're the only ones with problems similar to what they're seeing on the page. And the last one we came up with is that maybe um, we saw a spike in the romance genre as a result of the pandemic, because so many of us were isolated in our homes. And so maybe it was a comfort to read about people making long lasting connections in books. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and also like the main thing is that they bring joy. So one of the, I mean, the markers of the genre are happy endings. So I, and of course there are like more dramatic (laughs) romances, but rom-coms are what you've really seen exploding and they're guaranteed the happy ending aspect of it it, it, it's comforting because you pick it up and you know it's going to be like I always call them happy makers before I even realized I was reading romance novels I was like I need a happy maker book <laughs> a romance book uh, because they're going to be light and fluffy and funny and if you're anxious like when I am in an anxious zone I will always go grab a Christina Lauren book because their books never get too heavy and they're always funny and lighthearted, and you can count on them as a pick me up and that's what most rom-coms are and uh, a, a staple in all of the the books that you usually see at the end of uh, Barnes and Noble Isles. <laughs> <laughs> and like you also get to live out like fantasies that are rooted in um, you know real world. Um, so you get to live a million different lives and fall in love with a million different types of people and uh, it's just so, um, it's just comforting. Yeah. And it's just happy making and, um, and it, it helps you to also like experience what other people go through. And I think, you know, if, now that we're seeing more diversity in books too, like you get to experience what other people who don't look like you, um, are experiencing. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. The the one thing that Pam mentioned that really jumped out to me was helping people realize what they like in a relationship or maybe don't like, because I think especially when you're younger, you don't really know what you're looking for. And books can be, you know, misleading to an extent. But I, I think for the most part, it really can help you figure out the type of relationship that you're looking for. And I think it is very comforting to read these and know that you're not the only one who might encounter some problems in your relationship that it happens to everybody else because that's what happens to us all the time it's like we we always think we're alone in our problems but actually your problems are so common that <laughs> they're in books too yeah and it's really great now that more people are out and open about reading romance novels because now people are having conversations about it. It's not just I consume this novel and I'm sort of um, internalizing my reactions to the things the characters in this book are doing. I'm going to go talk to my friends about it and talk about this character did something that just really rubbed me the wrong way. And I want to figure out why that is. It gives people more of a real world chance to figure out those things that they do and they don't like. Yeah, I mean, that's why I started my YouTube channel about books so that I wouldn't have to be isolated and all those feelings. And I think a social like social media has really spurred that on the the, like the honesty (laughs) within like not being embarrassed by romance, because when you see people 
talking about these so honestly and openly and ex- like being excited about it, you feel less bad about being, um, I don't know, not less bad, less guilty. Like we were made to feel shameful about reading romance yeah. <laughs> growing up in the 90s. It was just like embarrassing. And I know this is in the doc somewhere, so I don't know if we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I, I feel like once... I, I feel like YouTube was kind of the start of people going on and just burying their soul about things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and then it kind of trickled into every social. And now it's just broken down. I feel like the barriers of embarrassment in so many ways and so many different faucets of our life. Like people are just talking about I like shitting their pants all the time all over the place. And I feel like that was not something we did. <laughs> With no day. shame. Yeah. No well- shame. It's broken down that barrier everywhere. You can extend this point to podcasts too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, mm-hmm. we've always heard from people, oh, you guys feel like you're my friends because you're geeking out over things that uh, I have nobody else to geek out with. Mm-hmm. So one thing that we all have in common on this panel is that we all went through an avid young adult novel phase. And I wanted to get your all's take on whether or not you think in some ways, it's easier for readers who do love young adults as a like an all encompassing um, genre to make the jump over to romance. Like, is it easier to continue being an avid reader when you know that there's something on the other side that can speak to you the same way that something in the young adult section of, say, Barnes and Noble or your local library can speak to you, too? Yeah, I feel like it's such a natural progression now because marketing people have made it so <laughs> they've kind of taken the YA cover model and used it for they're using it for all the romance novels they're like cartoon people now really cutesy Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's no like passionate real people on the cover (laughs) like those bodice rippers yeah (laughs) that's why it was so embarrassing to read those books right people yeah because it's like fabia was on it's you're not your mother's uh romance novel right yes (laughs) (laughs) and now they're little cartoons right (laughs) Right. And they're at they're literally on the end of the YA uh, sections of Barnes and Noble. Like you'll be in that aisle and on the end of the aisle are all romance novels that are adult novels. But it doesn't say, you know, it just says romance and it it just they blend them both together. So they're making it really accessible and easy to overlap the genres. And I think like we started seeing like the fade to black scene started disappearing in a few of these very popular series that honestly are now categorized as adult Um, but they started disappearing in like 2016 or 2015 2016 and um we would just go like go into way more graphic scenes than i think the ya section was you know we just had fade to black originally doing yeah sarah j mass (laughs) kind of broke (laughs) down those barriers because her books were YA. And every time I would be talking about them, I'm like, I cannot believe this is in the YA section. (laughs) She got away with so much sex. Yeah. (laughs) Pam mentioned Red, White, and Royal Blue earlier. That one has some pretty lengthy sex scenes. That's adult, though, I think. That one was adult. Yeah. Yeah. That's adult? I mean, looking at that cover, I call that YA. Again? Yep. Overlap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, this is this is going to be my follow up question, and and um, I don't know if you guys can answer. Maybe Christine can since you're in publishing, but like 
is the publishing industry sort of getting in trouble because the covers look so wholesome as a result? Because like I, for context, like I think everybody listens to our show probably knows this, but you two might not. I used to work at a library when I was still in university and uh, like a big point of contention, contention was where books were going to be shelved and what was appropriate to even recommend to uh, a child, say, even in fifth grade that was still reading technically in like the children's section. Um, So, uh, yeah, I'm just curious as to how that's being navigated and if there has been backlash as a result. Well, I don't think there's been any if they're categorized as adult i don't think there has been backlash but you know john green's book looking for alaska there Mm -hmm. was a parent that reported him to the police and said it was pornography this because there's a blowjob scene in the book but it's not graphic it's one scene and it's a book that's 20 years old and it's been being banned from different schools i just heard him talking about it on their podcast and i just couldn't believe it other than that, I haven't heard anything about people getting in trouble because the covers look lighthearted because they are categorized as romance and not YA. All of these ones that are really graphic other than Sarah J. Mass, which I've never heard any complaints. <laughs> that is so funny. To probably because all the teens picking those up are keeping them close to the chest. It's like, mom, you don't need to worry about what's what's here. My little yeah. world, my little secret. <laughs> I moderated um, a ro- the romance panel at Comic-Con this year um, in San Diego. And I, I had asked this question. I was I was like, what do you guys think of all of these like cartoonish characters? And um, I got a lot of like negative feedback from the authors on the panel because they were all like, yeah, I don't I don't know. You know, it's it, 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 it like people get so surprised by what's actually within those covers. Um, and then there's also like the other um, the other side of it, which people are wanting like more explicit scenes and they don't necessarily know like what is behind that cover now because it looks so like cutesy and um cartoonish yeah i mean that's really interesting yeah if it's categorized as romance i'm usually expecting that there's going to be at least semi-graphic sex scene (laughs) yeah Um, that's fair yeah yeah but like on the other hand you shouldn't make a sexier cover just because there's a little bit of sex in it like that's that the sex doesn't define the book so it's it's hard. Yeah. You need to like find a balance. Yeah. Sometimes it does. It would be categorized as erotica then. Yeah. I <laughs> right. mean, that's a different category. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that is that is what the key to this all is, is that there there is a disconnect for like just general the average reader between what is romance and what is erotica, because to your point, they are two separate entities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah, like. I mean, maybe this is down in the dock. I don't know. But like before Twilight, we had like Sophie Kinsella who did uh, Convention of a Shopaholic and we had that something borrowed, you know, all, or he's just not that into like all those books in like the early 2000s that became movies. Those don't have any sex in them. They're just like cute adult fiction and they would only be in the adult fiction. And then there's a whole other category in the bookstore that's just bodice rippers and romance. They're merging, I and guess. They're merging. <laughs> they yes. merged. But what I was going to say is the young adult novels that have sex scenes, though, they never mention like the word penis or any reference to a penis. And they never mention vagina. Like they don't go there. Penetration. Yeah, they they kind of describe 
the the lead up and then what's happening they you kind of assume what's happening when it's happening it's like foreplay <laughs> euphemisms the art of the fate to black yes <laughs> he unloosened his belt in the sunset and then next <laughs> chapter you should do audiobooks, Andrew. Oh, thank you. It goes a little further than that, but they're like oh, creative does, okay. the way they, they say he it. He unloosened yeah. his belt and his cock fell out. And then it <laughs> yes. fades to black. Well, see, it's funny because Andrew is actually um, an erotic fiction author. Yeah. It is true. I did write a dirty Cursed Child fan fiction to fulfill my wants and needs after seeing that play. Uh, <laughs> So I mentioned there is some data in this NPR article to back up the increase in sales. According to Publishers Weekly, sales of print romance books were up by 52% last year. And that's especially significant given that book sales overall declined for the first time in three years. I assume coming out of the pandemic, there was just a shift in, in how much purchasing was going on. As online creators in bookish spaces, have you two both noticed a spike in interest in the romance genre over the last few years? Yes. So, but here's the thing. It's, it's, it's weird for us because there's like this whole new generation of creators um, and they're finding the books and the authors that we loved, you know, in that like 2013, 2016 era. And then now they're talking about it on TikTok. And then because TikTok is a, uh, a platform that reaches a broader audience, it, it feels like more people know about it because it just the algorithm there is the, the short form content reaches so much so many more people than, say, like our YouTube booktube niche back in the day. Um, so it's always been there, but I do remember making it like a point to talk about romance books. And like, I did like a whole like romance book roundup video in like 2016. And that got really popular because um, people weren't really, really doing it back then. There was still a little bit of shame there. Like, oh, I remember feeling um like I couldn't just read romance. Like I couldn't just read like back to back Christina Lauren, Colleen Hoover. Um, I had to like put a fantasy or sci-fi novel in there somewhere so I can, you know, make me seem like a more well-rounded reader. Um, but now it's like there's people who are just talking about all the romance that they read. Well, they didn't even call it romance. Like, I remember when I first started reading Colleen Hoover, I was like, I love Colleen Hoover books. I never like, yes. thought of them as romance books. Mm -hmm. And even I think the first person that I heard call them like rom-coms was Christina from Christina Lauren when we were like met them. She's like, oh yeah, you write rom-coms. I'm like, I guess I do. Like it was, <laughs> I was like, so that's what y'all write. <laughs> you yeah. call it rom-coms? Like we're allowed to call them that? Um, because yeah, so they, they were popular and they, everyone loved them and they were growing in popularity in like 2014, 2015, 2016, like all that time. But we weren't calling them romance. And now on TikTok, they're exploding, exploding. And you're really noticing they're called romance books because people are calling them romance books. And people not, are searching for that too. Yeah. Yeah. They're not and embarrassed we, anymore. Yeah. Back then, we had the boom of new adult, which was supposed to be like which the was nice, romance. Yeah. which was romance, was like the nice little, little soft center between you know young adult and adult books and erotica um, but honestly yeah and erotica but it was, it was just it was just a, a new label for uh uh published fan fiction 
because of Fifty Shades of Grey and all of that, like that was super popular in 2014. And then people, it was just a money making industry. And they were like, okay, well, we need more of these Twilight fan fictions that already have 3 million readers. And then that was the start of Wattpad and, and all of that. Um, so it was all those fics that we were reading shamefully in our rooms under blankets are now being published. We're like, oh, we can talk about this now. Okay, cool. I love that it's losing its stigma because back then everyone was like, ew, it's fan fiction. It shouldn't be published. And I was like, these authors put so much time and work into this. Why shouldn't they be able to make this into something that stands independent and publish it if everyone loves it? Yeah. Do you know what's really funny is I, I still will have people to this day talk to me about books like uh, the one that always comes up funnily is Alice Clayton's Wallbanger. I oh, love it. And I'm like, <laughs> that's Twilight fan fiction. Yep. They're like, what? And I was like, yeah, I remember reading that when it I was read on it. fanfiction.net. <laughs> yep, I did. <laughs> and they and she has not changed a lot. So <laughs> that is that is the fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And Twilight going back even a few years further. I mean, that was hot in what? Tw- 2008, I think the first book came out. And the first movie, oh, 2005. Yeah, it was, oh, was the shit. book, yeah. Okay, yeah. Come on, Andrew. <laughs> I know. What am I thinking? But Breaking Dawn, the book came out in 2008. Eight. That was 2008. August okay, 4th, I'm a little yeah. okay. Yeah. August 4th, 2008. Or August 2nd. It was right near my birthday. <laughs> I, I do remember August. I went to a midnight release party I did for too. um Breaking Dawn. Yeah, that was a big deal. I think that was my Same. last midnight release party that I went to. Come to think of it, um, but oh. but Twilight's had a comeback, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Twilight, the Twilight Renaissance. Renaissance. Oh, <laughs> I love the Twilight Renaissance Twitter account. That one. Do you two follow yes. that? It's really good. Yes. I don't. Oh, check uh, it out. I that that came back because of Netflix, because all all the Twilight movies were on Netflix during the pandemic and people were watching them all and rediscovering and they're just at home and they're like, OK, well, here's a new generation of younger people. You all can read them now. So that's amazing. But we'll save that for when um, Pam and I are on forking fangirls. Well, I love that um, fan fiction came up here. I wanted to jump in here and ask about this. I, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, I wrote a ton of fan fiction when I was in high school, mostly Harry Potter fan fiction. Um, I ended up becoming connected with these wonderful people because I became a fan fiction moderator on MuggleNet fan fiction when I was like 15. And similar to the themes we're talking about with romance novels, I remember it feeling like this dirty little secret. I didn't tell anybody in my life, really, that I was writing or moderating fan fiction. But now it seems that very similarly to how conversations are opening up about people reading and enjoying romance novels, conversations about people reading, writing, and enjoying fan fiction have opened up too. So I'm wondering what you both would say is the driving force behind these conversations? Are they kind of like feeding into each other? Did openness with fan fiction lead to openness with romance novels or was it the other way around? It's hard. It's like the chicken or the egg there. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I would think that it all kind of fed into each other as we became open about one and then more open. I mean, and as you're seeing more and more fan fictions get published and be very successful, like and maybe you've read like maybe now people have read them and they're not judging them like oh that's fan fiction like oh that was actually good why am I trying to put it down for no apparent reason (laughs) um and yeah I'm I don't know Natasha what do you think I think well so much 
I mean, I started reading fan fiction because I wanted to know what happened after the fade to black scene in Breaking Dawn. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so my 14 year old fingers got searching and found some. Um, and, uh, and I think a lot of us had the same, um, uh, I, I mean, no, for sure. We all had that same experience where we're like, oh, OK, well, I liked how I felt this way. Well, I need more of that. And so um, so I think a lot of it had to do with, um, you know, our generation who read Twilight or read Harry Potter and wanted more um, started writing more and, and reading more within those worlds. And, you know, the bar got pushed, it got more graphic and, and, and you're also coming into adulthood at that point. So I do think it is like our generation just moving into adulthood and wanting more. And, um, but also finding that comfort within the characters that we love and adore. Um, uh, that's kind of continuing this conversation and, and, and letting it be widely known that, you know, we're like, okay, well, this is what we love and what we enjoy. And uh, we're not really afraid to talk about it or, or you know, keep it secret anymore. I mean, I used to like print out fan fiction chapters and my whole family knew what I was reading. So that's amazing. <laughs> I used to do that too. Yep. Same. <laughs> but now do you just do it all through like a tablet or do you still print stuff out? <laughs> Yeah, you I mean, can do that actually on archive of our own. Makes it very easy to download you straight just download to your Kindle. It. Oh, mm-hmm. and it's, yeah, that's how I read all the young dudes because I kept seeing that one pop up on my TikTok for you page, and it looks just like a book on your Kindle or on your iPhone. Oh, it nice. is so good too. Anyone who hasn't read that, highly recommend. What is it? All the young dudes. It's a Marauders era oh, Harry Potter fan fiction. It's so this. long. It's so long. Yeah, it's ex- I I love it. You know, I'm I'm so here for for people owning what they love and not being ashamed of it. And um, I mean, we have all these fun new terms now, like spicy. I used to call it just sexy times. Now it's like spicy. How how much is a spice? And then yeah, they're they using like spice like, levels, little like you know, spice emojis. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Well, speaking of like influences, uh, I think we've mentioned TikTok or social media a couple times, of course, but then there's book talk. And from the article, it says, quote, a big part of romance's success is the communities that have formed around romance books, both in physical spaces like book clubs, but also in the massive numbers of people posting their pics on social media. Romance books are frequently among the most engaged with titles on TikTok's hugely popular book talk, which has racked up nearly 110 billion views. I was reading another article prior to today's episode and a bookseller was talking about how they'll suddenly see a wave of interest in a book that they weren't expecting. And whenever they ask people, how'd they hear about this? It's always book talk. It's always book talk. Well, now I don't know when the last, well, actually I know that you were just at Powell's, Andrew, did they have a, um, like an end cap that was book talk? Because every time I go into a Barnes and Noble now, they do have like a trending on book talk or trending on the internet end cap or whole table dedicated to those titles. Yeah, so. And I love how they're leaning into that. They're just calling it book talk. They're not just like, what's popular online? No. They're le- they're using the hashtag book talk. I can't remember if I saw it at Pals. I definitely saw some big romance sections. I don't know if I saw book talk. P- Pals is also massive, so there's a chance that I just missed it. 
They're at Barnes and Noble. Then they're def- I remember the first time I saw one, and it was full of book two books from twenty fourteen, yeah. and I was like, uh huh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, now they have them everywhere. Yeah. I also yeah. just want to throw in here quickly. Um, people on this panel are not the only ones who printed fan fictions. Camille in our Discord is saying <laughs> the amount of printed fanfic I had hoarded in my room when we packed to move so from Alaska to Texas was dot 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 shocking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still finding, like, every time I, I go and, like, try and clear out some old boxes from my childhood home, I'm still finding printed out fan fiction <laughs> in those boxes. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. When Natasha first told me she printed so much fan fiction, I was like, but what about the paper and the ink? Because <laughs> it was always breaking. The printers were always breaking. I would have been so scared. Sometimes you could do it at school. <laughs> oh, okay. And printer ink is expensive. And what if you <laughs> use it all and then your parents needed it or something? Sometimes if you ran out of paper, you might even have used binder paper. Like I yeah. did. <laughs> nice. nice. Okay, you're inventive. <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do, Christine. <laughs> Well, speaking of fan fiction, uh, in the last few years, like we have talked about um, earlier on in this episode, we've also seen a spike in a lot of authors making the leap from fanfic to traditional publishing. Some examples for the uninitiated, uh, Christina Lauren, who you two have both brought up during this conversation, E.L. James, of course, with Fifty Shades, um, Alice Clayton, which I brought up earlier. And then uh, most recently, you had uh, Anna Todd with the After series, which for anyone who doesn't know is a uh, Harry Styles One Direction fan fiction. <laughs> nope. All of those movies are up on Netflix, by the way. Mm-hmm. And then also Allie Hazelwood, who uh, did Raylo fan fiction. So yep. I wanted to ask about what we thought of, in general, people coming from fandom, finding success in traditional publishing, and also if the practice of filing off serial numbers, as it were, uh, bothers us in general i i tend to think it's great but sometimes i find myself wishing that like better stuff got published than like some of the stuff that we get can you explain what this phrase means to filing the serial numbers so filing the serials serial numbers off is basically just taking any identifier that could tie it to a trademarked or copyrighted entity and like changing it so that you don't get sued for copyright infringement So that could be anything from like changing character, like physical characteristics of a character to changing uh, names of characters or places. Got it. Okay. So like changing Edward's name to Christian Grey. To Christian. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. (laughs) Back in the youth days, I was like, wait, why are they like when when E.L. James came out with Fitches Grey, I was like, what? Wait. What? Wait, this is being pub. This is becoming a movie. Whoa! But then I had this like giddy sense of like all the people who hated Twilight are like now going to the movies to see Fifty Shades of Grey, and I was like, yes, <laughs> like we've somehow won. Um, and now I just think it's 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 so great. Fan fiction is such a great gateway for people to. Um, express themselves and find out like find out how they write um like our our, our newest episode 
we Christina Lauren talked about We this. keep talking about this because it was know. so relevant. Sorry. So no, sorry. it's okay. It no. <laughs> they had such good insight. Awesome. I mean, like, I, I really appreciate you guys bringing it up because I'm excited to check that out. Yeah. So I'm sure that people listening to, if they're interested in this topic, will be excited too. So. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. So, I mean, they were, it's, it's, it's all just a lot of, um, um, encouragement, you know, and I, I, I think it's a great thing. Um, it, you spend so much time writing this story, and it's so popular. Why not get your cash, get the check, yeah, <laughs> like like get it published and and have you know an even broader audience um to to find it and love it. But like, yeah, I remember when Ali's book came out. Um, the love hypothesis that w- that's an example of a, of a viral book and that's because of the Raylo fandom like just coming behind her and rallying for her um and because I, I mean at the time I think it was like coming out of the pandemic and then everyone was coming out of their like Raylo phase at that point so um but there's eight there's eight Raylo books coming out this year and there's there's one in particular, which I don't know how she's going to do because it's fully set in the Star Wars fandom. Like it's 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 all a bunch of lore from like deep Star Wars. And it's called Landscape with the Blur of Conquers. And it's coming out as the Hurricane Wars. And uh, who knows how she's going to change this because so many plot devices are rooted within Star Wars and that world. But um, it's going to be a high fantasy with an emphasis on like Asian culture because she's AAIP. Okay. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, to to your point, I think that maybe the difference is too is that like authors are not shying away from um, openly talking about where they got their start. Uh, to your point about Ali Hazelwood, I think that like personally, I think that fan fiction is a great place to cut your teeth if you want to become a writer in any sense. And also like you're getting feedback in real time sometimes, too, which is I know something that's like not the case in traditional publishing. Um, but uh, it, and so I, like in a way, I do think it's great that uh, it sounds like Ali is really open and honest about. Um, where she got her start and like what the like the basic basis inspiration for her books are because I don't think it was the same with I think like E.L. James was like the biggest first example that we we saw like on the main stage and at the time when Fifty Shades the movie was coming out I was um, interning still and I remember the place I was interning at did this big cover story for Fifty Shades and it was like so funny to me that like the the author, the the writer that had done this interview with E.L. James, had, like asked her if she had gotten inspiration from anywhere, and she was like, "No, not anywhere in particular." And I was like, "You're a lying, lying, lying. <laughs> yeah. This is not good. We all know." I guess if she admits so, that, then I mean, has she never admitted it? Well, I assume. It? No, I'm sure she has at this point, but I assume it was somebody that was coaching her because you right. know people get media training usually, saying like, "Don't make any." you know, implication that this started off as a Twilight experience. Right, or else Stephanie's lawyers so, might come knocking. Right. Mm. So so it is kind of nice to see that people are being more open and honest about that now. Yeah, some are, some aren't. Oh. Anybody <laughs> you want to name? Or? No. <laughs> okay. Yeah, spell the tea. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I do think that there's so many authors who now have like so many works under their belt. Where it's like, why? I mean, at this point, like you are, you've made a name for yourself. 
back. So, uh, but I mean, it's just like Christine and I, like we always think Twilight for that's how we got to where we are now. And I think a lot of these people, they're in the same boat as I think all of us here on the mm-hmm. podcast. Twilight was started everything. Yeah. It was so fun. It was so refreshing coming out of Harry Potter, just like having this new fandom where people were just as passionate, if not more so in some ways. Um, So as we start to kind of wind down this conversation, a thought I had had was, do we think there's a direct correlation between the rise in the popularity of romance books and the rise in popularity of reality dating shows on television? And the reason I ask this is because I know shows like The Bachelor have been around forever. But um, for starters, Netflix has been churning out a ton of romance series, like unscripted romance series, in part because it's those are cheap to produce. But I think people have been less ashamed of talking about their love for The Bachelor. Like, I know my mom and sister love getting together to watch The Bachelor. I I see friends on social media who have Bachelor watch parties, and they post about them. But the show is garbage, <laughs> in my opinion, at least. Like, but And yet, people aren't afraid to talk about it. Do you think there's been a similar shift with some of this romance content that we're seeing on television where people are just less ashamed because it's kind of in? I mean, I feel like a lot of since romance books are booming, you know, I think that the producers of shows are taking advantage of the fact that people are like being outwardly excited about romance novels and their version of that is the reality TV. It's cheap to produce and they all love it. I think the demos overlap uh, yeah. a bunch. I know I've been watching all those Netflix shows. I got so sucked in by Love is Blind. Me too. Laura and I did too. Oh my gosh. We text about Love is Blind. They are like my anti-anxiety now. (laughs) Don't throw on one of Netflix's dating shows. I know. I'm literally watching After the Altar right now for season three. Nice. I just watched such an escape. It's such an escape. And like, Am I ultimately really invested in most of these people? No. No. But, yeah. Oh my gosh, putting that on for an hour, getting like pouring a glass of wine or like sitting down with like some hummus and just, you know, going <laughs> to town and watching that. Talking about how all the men are trash. Yeah. Oh my God, the men are trash. Oh my gosh. I've been watching Perfect Match, which they brought people from Love is Blind. So, of course, I'm like, oh, I got to watch this. Shane's on it. Bartiz is on it. Oh, they brought all of the worst ones. Right. (laughs) Well, now I'm going to have to watch that, too, and root for them all to never find love. (laughs) Do it. It's been a ride. (laughs) I mean, I think it's it's that same feeling. It's the same feeling of sitting down with a glass of wine and, you know, you, you might go through a little bit of, of turmoil, you know, watching as someone breaks someone's heart. And then ultimately they, the people come together, or they don't come together. And it's like the same feeling that you get with a romance book. Yeah. You know, um, it's not going to get too heavy. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a bit of a representation issue when it comes to the romance genre, turning back to books. What kinds of romance books, tropes, heroes, or heroines would you both like to see more of? on the page plus size plus size yes. yeah. Yeah. plus size love i mean as someone i am plus size um as someone who's only had one boyfriend in her entire life um 
where I don't see a lot, unless it's in my real life, I don't see a lot of big people loving. And I would love to see more of that because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of beauty standards that even that that goes into dating in real life and having to put yourself out there and being able to see that and read it uh, is and has been transformative for me. Yeah, that's honestly a huge reason why I'm so excited for Bridgerton season three. And I really hope that that ushers in a um, a renaissance of more plus size romance in -hmm. general, because I do think that you're right, that there's a huge gap in the market for that. And Mm -hmm. a variety of plus size representation. I feel like Mm -hmm, the idealized representation of what plus size is right now is not actually reflective of reality for most people. And it it can be really disheartening as a plus size person to look at that and see, oh, there's this other expectation. There's there's a right kind of fat. Right. right? Yeah, there is. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah, I think just like in all forms of media, it's nice to feel seen Mm -hmm. thinking back to what I was talking about when it comes to uh, gay romance novels and just LGBTQ people in the media. In reading these articles, I was reading that um, there has been an increase in romance novels by people of color. And that's, of course, translating to more characters that are of color. So... I think there's still a long way to go there, but there seems to be an increase in diversity in these romance novels. So that's good. I feel like I'm I'm blessed because a lot of these characters were like losers in school who liked books and then like <laughs> <laughs> awkward adults trying to find love. Right. So I'm, I'm open to any diversification and want to read about other types of people, but I'm really blessed because there's lots of main characters like that. <laughs> I was a nerd, too. <laughs> I mean, we're still all nerds. Yeah, we can yeah. definitely relate on that level for sure. <laughs> Make a career out of being nerdy. <laughs> Christine, Natasha, you've cu- touched on many books today, but any other books you've been reading recently that you might want to plug? And I also need to ask, what is the next Harry Potter, or Hunger Games, or Twilight? Because I want to do a new podcast, so... <laughs> Where is it? I'm tired of waiting. Well, I'm pretty sure that's going to be Sarah J. Mass. Yeah, just (laughs) whatever comes first. (laughs) Right now, Hulu has Akatar, A Quarter of Thorns and Roses. Um, Didn't they have Throne of Glass too? And they, well, they did have Throne of Glass, but I think it reverted back to Sarah. Okay. But I'm not sure. Oh, that's interesting. Throne of Glass is more widely accessible in terms of like, more a broader audience will enjoy it because it's less focused on the romance and it's like a fantasy where the romance is there for a lot but there's a lot of different story aspects and not that there isn't an Akatar, but i know that, like Akatar feels like a romance to me where throne of glass i didn't particularly think i was reading a romance <laughs> yeah i mean the, all of her books are so popular right now so it's just a matter of when what it's gonna first. happen yeah <laughs> what hits first and and hopefully they do it right because uh, we said the same thing for the mortal instruments and that just did not yeah the mortal instruments hit. is fantastic and they did a terrible job with all those <laughs> yeah same with vampire academy hate it when that happens 
Yeah. Scythe is another one that it's not hasn't blown up on book talk, it, but it is very widely read and it's won a bunch of awards and it's so good. It is a trilogy and it's like a I don't want to say dystopian. It's like a utopian world where we don't die. And there are people called scythes that are hired to be to keep the population in check. Ooh. So you people get killed by a scythe. And there are um, two 17 year olds that get an internship to be scythes. <laughs> um, so they're learning how from this mentor scythe, like how the job works. And of course, there are like political imbalances, power imbalances within that world because basically the sides are gods in this world, you know? That's interesting. And it's done so well. It's, it's giving the giver vibes, kind of, mm-hmm. a little bit. I can see where where you're feeling that. Yeah, definitely. It's done stuff. Like, kids just throw themselves off buildings for fun because they can be healed. Like, it, wow. it's like, it's... It's insane. And art doesn't really mean anything because they don't understand our art. They don't understand like suffering. So it's fascinating. I've got quite a list. There's also another series, uh, Red Rising by by Pierce Brown. Um, that is a very cinematic book. And I, it's like the first book is like Game of Thrones in space. And then the the second one is like Star Wars meets Game of Thrones. <laughs> and um, it's like a whole class system, eugenics all this mishmash stuff it's all set within our solar system and they've terraformed like all of the planets um that the first book used to be called a ya and now it's a full adult (laughs) series and there's also like a spinoff um there's a there's someone owns it i can't say what (laughs) oh okay okay interesting yeah I feel like someone owns all of these properties. Like they're all in yeah. some sort of stage. They just, they just keep buying them. Yeah, <laughs> it's like happen. a just in case thing. And oh, yeah. will we adopt it? Well, it makes sense now, especially that we've like, you know, I, I think that like coming off of what we all saw as the success of um, everything from like Twilight to Hunger Games makes sense that studios are a little bit more loose with their money in buying up these rights. So, mm. yeah. It's kind of like it reminds me of like domain squatting back in the nineties or two thousands. Yeah. Where you just buy a domain just so yeah. you had it. <laughs> and then the downside too is that sometimes they sit on the these properties for so long that like nothing actually gets made because they don't prioritize it. It's like either shit or get off the pot. Right. Come on. Someone wants to make it, you're gonna lose your window of opportunity. Like, especially <laughs> with TikTok now and how trends are just going so quickly. It's frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Well, on that note, this has been a great discussion on the rising popularity of romance novels. Thank you, Natasha and Christine, for helping us with this discussion Thank today. You. Thanks for having us. Yeah, a pleasure. So much fun to have you two on. And like I said, Pam and I were looking forward to coming on those forking fangirls in a couple of weeks. I've been yeah. resisting talking about Twilight today because I want to save it for <laughs> for the show. I could talk about it for a while. That was, that was, those were some good times. What a time. It feels like a (laughs) fever dream, but in the best way. (laughs) So coming up in After Dark today, we're going to kind of do a part two to last week's After Dark discussion. Last week, we talked about all the things we did that were bad when we were kids. This week, we're going to be talking about all the bad things our parents thought we were doing 
that we weren't <laughs> actually doing. Our parents clearly thought we were way cooler and edgier than we were. Um, but some of these stories are pretty fucking hilarious. So you'll want to check it yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be available at patreon.com slash millennial this week. We release new After Dark installments every week. It's one of our flagship benefits. Thanks, everybody who supports us there. We couldn't do it without you. And now it's time for some recommendations. I've had this one cooking for a couple weeks. I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, Pat and I had been splitting a Verizon family plan. Uh, It was, you know, you get unlimited talk and text and data. And it was like $145 a month total for two people. But then I'm finally paying attention to these ads I see on television for not just Mint Mobile, but Visible by Verizon, which is their response to Mint Mobile. And Visible and Mint both offer very affordable phone plans. Visible, $30 a month, unlimited talk, text, and data. You get 5G, you get 4G. By the way, 5G is a scam right now. It's not actually faster in case you haven't noticed by now. Um, so really when it says 5G, you're, you're still getting 4G, but anyway, $30 a month compared to the 70, $75 I was paying for like full blown Verizon. I'm not getting anything different. There was nothing I was getting with Verizon that I'm not getting with visible that I need. So if you're looking to reduce your monthly phone bill, definitely check out visible or mint. I was traveling over the last week. I noticed no issues with it. The data was good. If you want to pay an extra $15 a month, you'll get a premium network experience. I don't know what the fuck that means. I was able to load Instagram on the $30 a month plan just as fast as I was with my $70 a month Verizon plan. So um, I'm very excited to be saving $40 a month now. So check this out. I actually do have a referral code. This is not an ad, but they give you a referral code. So if you want to use my referral code, you'll get a $20 credit. I'll get a $20 credit. So if you want to save me 20 bucks on a future phone bill, click that link. Andrew's <laughs> shameless promotion to get his referral link plugged in the show I'll notes. click it. I'm like, I have Verizon. Well, I'll click it and <laughs> sign up. This. You got to sign up too. It's- <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. I, I don't know why the hell I've been paying so much for my phone bill when when they have this out there. I have a game recommendation for all of y'all. Uh, Sons of the Forest, which just came out. It's in early access right now, so it, it's got some quirks going on with it. But um, this is the sequel to End Night Games' first survival horror game, The Forest. Same premise. You're landed on a deserted island with a bunch of crewmates. Um, You can play this online with your friends and you're basically just trying to survive. You're building forts, you're hunting, you're exploring, you're finding supplies. There are cannibals who live on the island who want to eat you. So you have to evade them. Um, It's super fun. It's honestly, even though it can have really tense moments, you know, because of like the cannibals and stuff, it's a really fun, chill game to just be online, exploring, building things, hunting, chatting with your friends on Discord, and just kind of like having an experience together. It's 30 bucks on Steam. So if you need something to do this weekend, I definitely recommend it. 
And I wanted to recommend Daisy Jones and the Six on Prime Video. I feel like this is very apropos since we've been talking about books and book adaptations over the course of this episode. So if you're a fan of the book by Taylor Jenkins Reid, then I'm just here to put your worries at ease and let you know that this is a fantastic adaptation. I was also a really big fan of the book, and I just really love what they were able to do with the show. You can tell that the creators really care a lot about the source material. And one of the things that I love most about it is how it kind kind of expands on the empty space that the book leaves behind. So for anyone who doesn't know what this is about, it's set in the 1970s, and it centers on the titular rock band Daisy Jones and the Six and what led up to their disbandment after this one crazy concert that they play in Chicago. Nobody really knows why the band broke up until we pick up with everybody at the beginning of the story. So it's told like the book is partially through interviews with the bandmates and the key players, but it also um, catapults you back into the past with flashbacks and really kind of fleshes out the book in this really, really lovely way. And as a bonus for anyone who is a fan of just like music stuff, the actors also perform original music for the show. They tap some pretty big names to write original music for this as well, including Phoebe Bridgers and Marcus Mumford of Mumford and Sons. So it's just a really good time. I'm so excited for everybody to check this out when it drops this Friday, March 3rd. Three episodes are going up then, and then it's going to be two episodes going forward until we get to the season finale at the end of March. It's a limited series, so it's a really low commitment. And I highly recommend checking this out if you're a fan of, you know, any sort of title that's similar to Almost Famous or That Thing You Do or even like any music biopic that's set in the past, because this is going to be right up your street. I'm going to check this out. Pam has been tweeting up a storm about this show. and I have. And you know what? I wanted to text you about this, too, because I, I kind of need Ooh. you to watch it because I hear that um, Sam, Sam Claflin, who plays Billy, oh, um, yeah. Billy Dunn. He will obviously we know him from the Hunger Games, but apparently he studied Bruce Springsteen as a like oh. touchstone for his performance sequences. Oh, in interesting. His per- like he looks so good. Like as like he I buy that he is a rock star, oh. like a tortured, brooding rock star. He looks amazing. Interesting. Like I'm okay. blown away. And apparently he has like very little like music knowledge. So it's really impressive what he was able to do with this. So yeah, I think I just for like science purposes, I'm going to need you to watch. Okay. All right. <laughs> when I saw you tweeting about this, I gasped. Oh my God. Christine, I've seen all 10 episodes twice now. I need what? It. Oh my God. It's so good. I, I'm like, like, I'm so in love with this adaptation. You guys, I cannot oh, say like so good things enough that. about it. It's so good. For a second I thought it was out. I was like, <laughs> Oh, wait, Pam got to watch it early. Pam's just kind of bragging that she got the screeners. <laughs> yeah, but but the embargo lifts tomorrow, so I might I might tweet a little bit more about <laughs> Please it. Please do. Keep you guys unspoiled. <laughs> I've been so like excited. walking, I've been walking on a tightrope because I don't want like my like privileges getting taken <laughs> away from Prime. But like I also really want to talk more about the show. So yeah. oh my gosh. Such a good book. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Um so my recommendation is a book. Surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> but I don't think enough people are talking about Ninth House by Lee Bardugo yet. So I figured I'd talk about it. So the second book in this series just came out. It's called Hellbent. And Ninth House is about the secret societies at Yale. And 
in the book, the secret societies have access to magic. Magic is another thing that basically is kind of barred off by the class system. Like wealthy people have access to magic if they are in these secret societies and they use it to get richer. And it's it's super dark. It's about this young woman who can see ghosts and she's had a really hard life because of it because everyone, she can't really talk about it, but these she has really traumatic experiences with ghosts. And then the the secret society wants to use her because they need to like drink a, something that can kill you every time to see these spirits and she can just see them. So they tap her to come to Yale and be in this secret society so that they can like see the spirits for them. And it's a roller coaster. It's so dark, but it's so good. And there's this romance in it that's like, will they, won't they? And it's it's really, really good. And cool. The world building in it is fantastic. And I love a book set in college. <laughs> I have a, since we didn't talk about the classics on this, um, Sanditon is a TV show on Masterpiece. And it is actually Jane Austen's unfinished novel. Um we're cut there. The third season is airing. The interesting thing about this is that the show is actually canceled after its first season. Theo James was in the first season. And then everyone kind of like rallied together and we're like, bring it back, bring it back. They brought it back. Oh, and, <laughs> and then Theo James was like, nah, I'm not coming back. Um, but we have another actor from the Divergent series in the show who's playing the heartthrob and it's so good it's just like they like and it's a it's a like a sexier version of pride and prejudice sense and sensibility like we get a little bit more which is really fun they just the writers have had so much fun writing a regency romance and i think it all kind of comes from bridgerton but don't expect Bridgerton type of spice, okay? It's but it's still great. The the yearning and, and the wanting and is all there that we love from Jane Austen. So please watch it. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Well, Natasha and Christine, thank you so much for joining us today. Like I said, this was so much fun. We love you both. Yes. This was a ton of fun. Yay. <laughs> can you each tell us where we can find you online? I'm Natasha Polis. Um, my handle is Tashopolis everywhere. It's Tasha Polis, but like the city, like Metropolis. Um, and that is my last name. A lot of people get that confused. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I'm on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Um, and then we have our podcast together, which is Those Forking Fangirls. And that is on wherever you stream or listen to your your podcasts, your favorite podcasts. Um, I'm Christine, and you can find me on the YouTubes as Poland Bananas Books, uh, Poland the Country, Bananas the Fruit, Books the Things You Read. <laughs> and I, I tried to change it to Christine Riccio just recently, and if I change it, I'll lose my verified check mark as a YouTube person. So oh. I'm like, oh, I can't. <laughs> so I'm still Poland Bananas Books. Um, I'm, I've been posting there weekly, like writing vlogs and such the last seven weeks, I'm on roll. Um, <laughs> and I'm on all my other things as Addicts Teen May, like X teen May like Christmas X teen okay 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 <laughs> and yeah and I write books under Christine Riccio <laughs> yeah well I'm now following you both yay <laughs> 
Um, I've already been following you both, so I don't have to follow you. Um, okay, Andrew, I'm <laughs> Lauren, sorry I need that to you're get with so the much program. better than everyone else. <laughs> Ahead of the curve. Christine, you have another book in the works, right? I do. Oh, is it going? I... How's it going? Good. I'm so happy with it right now, but it's not going to come out until next year. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, hey, you're happy yeah. with it right now. That's good. That's yeah, good. yeah, yeah. My paperback's actually coming out in April. Never mind. I do have a book coming out. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the paperback of my book, Better Together, will be out April 11th. <laughs> awesome. Well, we look forward to that release. And <laughs> we'll have links to both Natasha and Christine's socials in our show notes. So check those out, listeners. And a couple other reminders, make sure you're following Millennial for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And we would appreciate a review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also contact us by writing to millennialshow at gmail.com or by using the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. And let's talk about our social media channels. We're Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And then over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. After Dark, we'll start in a moment for patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. I'm Christine. I'm Natasha. Bye, everybody. Bye. I don't know why I'm waving. It's an audio podcast. Because <laughs> we always wave at the end. <laughs> I'm like waving bye to Natasha and Christine, I think. Ah. <laughs>